Let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We're continuing this series that we started last week called Living in God's Strength. And last week we memorized verse 1, right? Everybody memorized verse 1. Say amen. All right, good. That was a little tepid. All right, let's say it together without it being on the screen. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. See, that wasn't that hard. Now, you may remember that we talked last week about the fact that we're spiritual sheep. And that's not the the most fun fact that we'll ever uh, study, but um, it is important. Um, The fact that we're sheep means that we're stubborn. It means we're dependent. It means we're not very smart, um, speaking spiritually, uh, and that we are prone to wander away. So um, while we don't necessarily want to admit that we're sheep, It is very important that we do so because that means we need a shepherd. And the whole premise of Psalm 23 is that the Lord is our shepherd, that he's gracious, that he's wonderful, that he's faithful. He provides all we need. We don't have any needs. We don't need to to hesitate to trust him because he is so faithful. And instead of that kind of scaring us, instead of faith being a a point of reticence where we kind of go, I don't know if I can really uh, give everything to the Lord, um, where we're kind of stressed and worried because we're not in control, it really should be a point of comfort and relief. It should be a point of, of strength for us that we can confidently rely on the Lord, that we can be content um, resting in Him and living for Him, and that He'll provide everything. So I, I think sometimes we can see faith as kind of cringeworthy, like, oh, I've got to trust the Lord. And it really needs to be, oh, I get to trust the Lord. Oh, I have the joy and the privilege and the honor and the confidence in trusting the Lord. So faith needs to be a real positive to us. And that's especially true um, when we're honest with ourselves and when we um, realize that as people who are in control, we're failures. That, that when we try to take charge, when we try to be in control, that it, that it never works out. That anything we look for other than the Lord as a source of joy, as a source of contentment, will always fail. So as we come to this psalm, Psalm 23, and, and we really understand that the complete sufficiency of the Lord in our lives our perspective gets changed and we start to get encouraged and strengthened and and refreshed that we can live in God's strength. So let's read the psalm out loud together again. It's going to be on the screen again. And then we're going to memorize verse 2. Okay, let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, let's read verse 2 again and memorize that. Ready? He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. All right, that's going to be our focus for today, verse 2. And again, the foundational truth that underlies that verse right there 
is what we saw last week in verse 1, that the Lord is my shepherd. There's a personal relationship between the Lord and those who trust in him. And how many are glad for that this morning? That this is a powerful, reassuring truth that is strength for us. Whatever you're going through, the strength is that the Lord is our shepherd. And if we trust him as our shepherd, and if we love the Lord because he's kind and he's gracious and he's faithful and he's wise, we'll see that message, verse 2, as ideal, as desirable, as something that we have to have. But if we're hesitant to yield to him, if, if we are saying, well, I still want to kind of live in the world and I still want a little bit of measure of control, as wonderful as verse 2 is, we are going to fight it. Now, unfortunately, there are a lot of people this morning that are living that second description. And, and the clear, discernible, unmistakable evidence shows up in a number of different ways. It shows up in a lack of strong faith, it shows up in a lack of holiness, a lack of separation from the world, a lack of growth, a lack of wisdom, a lack of contentment, lack of joy, lack of impact on other people. All these things that are, that are kind of uh, anemic, that, that aren't to the point of strength, that aren't to the point of, of, of confidence. And when we're not trusting in the Lord and we're kind of still, well, I still want to have a little hand on it, a little hand on the till, and, and just kind of just let me have this area. Lord, you can have all that stuff. That's, that's easy. I don't mind yielding that to you. But, but I'd like to still control this. When that happens, we're not walking by faith. And we find anemic problems in other areas. And then it shows up in one more way. And this one's a lot more subtle. There becomes a, a, a chronic unsettledness. Not just in trials, not just in difficulties, but kind of every day, there, there, there's, peace just is kind of elusive. It's not ever right there. There's kind of a constant atmosphere of, of turmoil and, and discontentment. And that's why we got to get back to abiding in Christ. And that's where Psalm 23 really teaches us. Look back at this verse. It details the Lord's initiative to adjust our perspective. So instead of striving after ambition, instead of striving after materialism and after people, we're striving after him. But here's the prerequisite. That starts with him shutting down our control. That starts with him teaching us the satisfaction of resting in his presence and learning to be content and confident and receive his provision. Now, to understand this, we're going to do what we did last week. We're going to follow the same format. We're going to divide these, uh, this verse into two phrases. And each phrase has two parts. Okay, so if you're taking notes, and I encourage you throughout this study to take notes because this is a, a good way to study and show yourself approved, right? You just rightly divide, the Bible says, the word. You, you, you divide it up. And sometimes it's good just to take it in little parts and, and to research the simple details to, to find that there's depth there and, and what are the implications of the truth. Now, Psalm 23 makes that really easy because the book essentially outlines, uh, the uh, Psalm essentially outlines itself. 
You take each verse, you divide it up, you look at each part, you take the details, and it teaches itself. So let's take some notes. Let's review them during the week. Let's talk to the Lord about them. What are the implications and applications for me? Okay? Truth number one. Here we go. The Lord makes us lie down to mitigate against our desire to control. The Lord makes us lie down to mitigate our desire to control. Now, our human inclination, whether you are male or female, whether you're wealthy or poor, you're an introvert or an extrovert, you're Caucasian or Latino or African-American or Asian, uh, you're, you're Republican, you're a Democrat, you're a Libertarian, you don't know what you are anymore, you're, you're Baptist, you're Pentecostal, you're Lutheran, Listen, it doesn't matter. It is in our DNA to try to take control. Doesn't matter who you are, how you were raised, what you have, what you care about, what you like. We all like control. We like certainty. We like uh, some measure of say in what happens to us. So when things are uncertain, or, or even worse, when things are out of our control, we begin to feel emotionally frantic. And we have different ways of dealing with that, different methods of trying to seize control. Some of us have anger, not me. Some of us are impatient. Some of us get frustrated and, and we kind of become a little hostile. Others of us kind of assert our dominance and, and try to take over and be a leader. Others of us um, just become kind of passive-aggressive. Make a little comments, a little suggestive. It's kind of a, a soft measure, measure of coercion. And others of us become emotionally manipulative. We play that emotional card. Some of us just have all of them bound together, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's, 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 just, there's just control. And I think it's the lack of control... That, that is driving so much of the rate of divorce and suicide and, and some of the mental disorders and, and the drastic increase in drug and alcohol use off the charts, even among believers. Because what used to be stable, church, the family, your job for life, even the political system was more stable at one point. Now, now it's all fractured. It's all confused. And so many things just kind of feel out of control. So we keep grasping at straws, whatever they may be. We keep trying to find some measure of stability that will kind of calm us down. And because the influence of the evangelical church has become so diminished, where there's more flash than substance, there's a widening void in the message of faith, the message of the gospel, not only to non-believers, but even to believers. Now, of course, the Lord knows this. The Bible says that he knows our frame, and then he knows that we are dust. So look at what he tells us to do. Look at the start of verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down. Now, that doesn't mean he sits me down on my couch and tells me to rest physically. It means that he calms us down and says to us, be still and know that I am God. Just take a breath. And the Spirit does this in a variety of ways 
to try to offset our stress and try to mitigate against our desire to control so that our spiritual perspective will be reestablished. Now, notice the verb in the first part of verse 2. I had never seen it this way until a few weeks ago. And I want you to emphasize the second word of the verse. It says that he makes me lie down. Everybody say that. He makes me lie down. Now, that means that he is saying, rest in me, wait patiently for me. This is not forced compliance. This is not putting his hand on top of our head and saying, sit down. It, it's, not, it's not forceful and angry. It is him graciously taking control when we're spiraling around and saying, look, I know what's best for you. Let me direct you to what is beneficial and what is right. And not only does he make us do this, but notice the next two words, he makes me lie down. Not sitting in a chair with our leg crossed, with our foot going a mile a minute. You ever been around one of those people who's like sitting in their foot's just like this, and they're tapping, and they're like, you're like, is some, something bother you? No, I'm great. I'm great. I'm, I'm relaxed. You don't look relaxed. No, I, they cross their leg again. Other foot gets going. You're like, is something going on? Like, look, look a little stressed. And that, that kind of conveys, look, I, I don't like, I'll, I'll tolerate you for a couple of minutes, but I, I've got my own agenda. I need, to, I need to do what I'm doing. i got a lot on my mind. i gotta got to do this. A lot of times, emotionally and even spiritually, we get kind of like that, like I'm kind of antsy, kind of jittery. Don't know what's going on. Really, 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 really got to get, gotta get going. The Lord says, nope, shh, stop. You know what? I'm going to make you lie down for a little bit. Because if you have that attitude of constant stress and antsiness and, and aggravation and nervousness and worry, you are never going to experience my peace. So you need to lie down, not in the desert, we'll study that in, in verse 4, not among the thorns or in a place without shade. Look where he makes us lie down. He makes us lie down in green pastures. So here's the second truth. The second truth is that we, when we abide with the Lord, it always refreshes us. When we abide with the Lord, it always refreshes us. Now, because of the topography of Israel, shepherding was a very common profession. So everybody knew shepherding. Everybody knew shepherds. They knew the concept. They knew the challenges. Israel's very dry. Most of it is very rocky and, and beige. There aren't a lot of sources of water. There's the Sea of Galilee. There's the Mediterranean, which is salt. There's the Dead Sea, which you don't want to drink. And there are a few aquifers running north to south. You've got the Jordan River. But, but overall, it's not like Wisconsin or Minnesota or anywhere else where there's lake after lake and body of water. There's, there's very little water in Israel. And the shortage of water means that there's a shortage of grass. So one of the professions that was desirable was raising sheep and goats because sheep and goats require less water than other domesticated animals. And they could be used for food. They could be sold for profit. So, so some shepherds would have hundreds, even thousands of sheep that they would take care of because that was their source of income. 
Now, to accomplish that, to be a shepherd, you had to kind of follow a pattern depending on the season because you wanted to maximize the resources. You wanted to make sure that the sheep always had a place of, of refreshing where they could abide. So in the spring, the shepherd would take the sheep uh, to, to graze on whatever fresh vegetation was starting to grow near their village. And this was the time when the lambs would be born and the, the flock would kind of be increased. He'd shear the winter wool off the sheep. And after the spring harvest, he would take the sheep then to try to eat whatever grain was left over and to find new pastures. This was all about, the spring was all about getting them healthy and, and fed and strong so they'd mature. Then the summer would hit. And it would be unbelievably hot, kind of like we had yesterday, but times 10. And the shepherds then would have to move their flocks to the cooler locations. So they'd go up on the hills, and they would find the caves, and they would try to find the places where there was some kind of vegetation on the hillside. And they would look for little ponds of water, and when the ponds of water would dry up, then they'd go find a well. At night, they'd be in an open-air sheepfold. We'll talk about that later in our studies. And, and, and they would protect the sheep and guard the sheep. And if that was, you know, dangerous and there were hyenas coming around, they'd go into a cave and they'd protect them there. The point was that the summer was about advancing in maturity until they got to uh, an understanding of the protection and security of the shepherd. So spring, they'd mature and be fed. Summer, they would get more mature and they would learn to trust the shepherd. Then the fall, when the dry season would hit, the shepherd would then go down to the coast and he'd go to the valleys and he'd find the places where the water would flow and, and he would try to find enough for them to eat and they would have to rely on him because things weren't as easy in the fall. See where this is going spiritually? And then in the winter, when there was no vegetation, they'd come back home. And there would be a place of safety and comfort because they couldn't be out in the rain and the snow and the hail. So this was the time of staying close and knowing that the shepherd would guide them through difficulty. The spiritual implications are just beautiful. Maturation and strength, confidence and safety, finding new places to be fed, and then being sure that you can get rest and revival when you're near the shepherd. This stuff teaches itself because God is illustrating this is what you need. You need to learn to abide in me so you will be refreshed. And the spiritual principle here is that the Lord wants us to abide in him because he knows the places where we will be fed. And he also knows the places that we need to avoid. So we constantly need fresh places of rest and revival. So let me ask you what I've asked you before. What encourages your soul? What places do you have where there's an opportunity to just think about the Lord? An opportunity to get into his presence and to just praise him for his help and his provision and to be fed. They can be specific locations, but sometimes it's just as simple as getting away from what is old and what is familiar. You know, so much of our time we spend in the routine, right? 
Same job, same house, same friends, same people, same hobbies, same responsibilities. And we kind of get into this pattern where we're just grinding out day after day. One of my famous phrases at our house is, it's the weekend again. Like, what happened to Tuesday? Like, it's Friday again? Like, we're facing another weekend? Because I'm, I'm just amazed at how the routine kind of goes on, and then you're back at another weekend. It's July 1st. Like, we're good way through summer already. Seems like it just started. And a lot of times we just need to get out and we need to find a place where you can get a different perspective. Sometimes just getting out of town for the day. Sometimes just, just going out in the countryside and driving around or sitting at the beach and, and just staring at the lake or take the book, the, the Nancy DeMoss book. Go down to the lake today and just sit on a beach chair after you help out with Take 5, of course. Go down late this afternoon. It's so relaxing, right? The waves are coming in and it's kind of soft. It's a beautiful day. Sit there with your book and read for an hour. You're like, I don't have time to do that. Really, what else are you going to do? Sit on Facebook or, or watch TV or, or do chores around the house. I know we need to do chores, but we also need some refreshing. So we've got to take those time and get, get to those places where we can meet with the Lord. This is, look at it, this is the green pastures that he's talking about. And when we abide in those green pastures, we'll be satisfied and content in ways we haven't experienced before. So then that leads us to the third truth, second half of the verse. To feed on his goodness, we must follow his direction. To feed on his goodness, we must follow his direction. Now it says, he leads me. So ask yourself, ask myself, Paul Rhodes, am I willing to actually follow? He leads me. Okay, that's great. I want the Lord to lead me. Now I want you to go here. No, don't want to do that. I want you to go through that trial. Really not keen on that. I want you to step out in faith. Well, Lord, I'd love a little bit more control. Maybe I'd like my face stretched, but maybe not quite that far. And we start to bargain a little bit, and we try to maybe we get a little stubborn, and we react, and we disobey, and we rebel. And we're like that sheep that kind of looks at the shepherd, and the shepherd's saying, come on. And we kind of go, yeah, I'm walking away. Now, this is subtle, right? We don't, we don't, I don't think many of us deliberately are defiant and go, I will not do that, God. But there are very many subtle ways that we do this. And it's very important that we recognize that we have to learn to trust. We have to learn to be content in him before he will lead us. Not going to drag us. We have to learn to trust and be content. Otherwise, if we don't do that, we'll just start to argue with the Lord. I don't like the timing, Lord, and, and maybe that's not best for us. We don't pray about it. We just kind of rebel against the direction, and we complain about what he's doing and what he's allowing. You, you know that's true, right? If you don't believe that, take your Bible this afternoon when you're sitting on the beach after take five. And start in Exodus 15, 23. And read from Exodus 15, 23 to Exodus 32, 35. You'll find all the evidence you need that that's our propensity. Because Israel got into the wilderness 
and they were never content. They were never satisfied in trusting in the Lord. They thought they knew best. They found many subtle and overt ways to express that. And we get in this mode, and we kind of demure, and we say, well, I'm trying to trust the Lord, and I've really been praying. But when the Lord tries to direct us, we start to blame the circumstances and say, well, this is why I can't trust, and this is why I can't follow that, and this is why I can't, and this is why I can't, and this is why I can't. I believe this is why, I really believe this, this is why in so many situations, People struggle with discouragement and anxiety and discontentment because they are still trying to hold on to control. They're not fully trusting and they're not fully yielding and they're not following the shepherd. And listen, uh, if you're a seasoned Christian, don't get arrogant here because the devil keeps attacking and even the most mature sheep can wander. So it's not like, well, I've been saved 44 years, and, and, and that doesn't happen to me. Absolutely it happens to me. In fact, the devil would love to drag me and you down because then he can say, look, I took that mature believer down. Young Christians, that's easy. But the mature believer, if I can dull them and get them to kind of subtly rebel against the Lord, boy, that's fun. So we have to be on guard. But look at how the Lord leads us. He doesn't drive us. See, David knew that a skilled shepherd, because he was one, gives guidance to the sheep. Because the sheep are prone to wander away. They're prone to find danger. And the terrain in the Middle East is different than the United States. So the sheep in the Middle East aren't driven from behind. The shepherd goes ahead of the sheep, and he leads them and chooses the right way to go. Now translate that spiritually because the picture here, verse 1, is that the Lord is our shepherd. Verse 2, he leads us. In other words, he goes before us. He protects us from danger. He guides us in the path of righteousness. And he keeps us progressing. He keeps us moving forward. So here's the big question. Am I willing and, and acting on following him implicitly and consistently, or am I wandering off and subtly resisting? Because if we're going to feed on his goodness, and we're going to experience refreshing and joy and contentment, we have to follow his leading. That's why studying this book is so essential. That's why prayer is so essential. That's why yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit is so utterly important because how am I going to get direction if I'm not listening? We have to listen to the Word and listen to the Spirit speak to us. And when we do that, He will take us to what is feeding us and what is good. And that's, look at, look at where He leads us. Look at the final truth, end of verse 2. The Lord's leading is always to a place of greater strength. We're going to really see this in verse 6 in August. But, but for now, the Lord's leading is always to a place of greater strength. Look at where he leads us. He leads us beside quiet waters. Now, before we define what that means and how it applies to us, let's think about the places he doesn't lead us to. He doesn't lead us to violent, rushing water. 
Why? Because violent rushing water symbolizes turmoil and stress and emotional churning and physical danger. There are plenty of leaders in the world this morning that want to lead us to violent rushing water, right? That, that want to lead us into danger, want to lead us into chaos. There are, there are whole subgroups. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist. This is just reality. There are whole shadow groups of people that, that are operating that are trying to drive chaos, that are trying to control the economy, that are trying to control human behavior. There, there's all, whole things now where they're cloning people. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what's going on. So, so there is a constant push by the enemy to take us into chaos. But that's not where the Lord takes us. Even when we're in difficulty and trials, and it seems like the floodwaters are about to engulf us. Look back at verse 2. It says, the Lord shepherds us out of those places, and he takes us to quiet waters. Now, that may not mean that we're out of the trial. The Lord doesn't just remove every trial because we ask him to. But it may mean a complete change in perspective where we don't even hear the rushing water around us. We just rest in the Lord. And in his presence, there is peace, Philippians says, that passes all understanding. And what does it do? You know the verse? It fills, it fills our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So he leads me to still waters, not, not to violent rushing water. He also does not lead us, second, to stagnant, unmoving water. Because that symbolizes corruption and disease and a lack of progress. Do you know that the Lord will never lead you and me to anything? The Lord will never lead you and me to anything that has the effect of restricting or stunting our progress of being more like Christ. He will never take you and I to a place that doesn't promote growth and strength. Why would Jesus come and die on the cross and redeem us so we could live like we used to? And yet how often, how often does, does our walk resemble a stagnant, algae-covered, mosquito-infested pond? You ever been one, around one of those? They're nasty, right? You drive by and you go, ooh, I would not want to swim in that. And you could just tell there's just filth and dirtiness. Now you say, well, Paul, that's kind of an extreme example. I don't think my walk is really that way. And yet, here's the thing. If the spiritual water isn't moving and the spirit's not in control, that's what we look like. If there's not growth, there's not progress, there's not faith, there's not confidence, there's not obedience, and we're just kind of stuck in the same place, guess what? We look like that little stagnant pond, and the Lord will never lead us to a stagnant pond. He wants anyone who looks at you and anyone who looks at me to see movement. More like Jesus, less like the world. Stronger in faith and less in terms of, of uh, control. More holiness, less, less tolerance of sin. More sacrifice, less selfishness. More courage and boldness, less hesitation. People need to see us moving, growing, advancing, progressing, walking with Christ. But so many times, 
If we really look in the mirror and we're really honest with ourselves, we're just kind of stuck. That's not of the Lord. Because look at the verse one more time. It says, he leads me beside the quiet waters. The literal meaning of the phrase is places of refreshment and waters of rest. In other words, the Lord leads us to quiet our hearts, not only so we experience encouragement and strength, but so we kind of cool off. So self is diminished. You ever watch Tom and Jerry? I love Tom and Jerry. Tom, man, Tom and Jerry is the greatest. And there are a lot of times when Tom, the cat, is really upset, and the cartoonist will symbolize like the top of his head comes off, and there are flames shooting up, right? That's how I feel sometimes. I had moments of that this morning before church. I had some moments of that yesterday. I even had some moments of that Friday where it was like, like <laughs> Bible says be angry, but don't sin. Don't let this get you because that's not where I'm leading you. Look at it. I want to lead you beside the quiet waters so when you're spiritually thirsty, I'll refresh you with water. I'll fill you with wisdom. I'll encourage you to trust in me. And when your spirit is tired and you're downcast, and listen, so much of this comes out of tiredness and not eating right and not exercising, right? It's not like a fitness person. I'm not. But, but so much of it comes out of the weariness of life where we just snap and we lose control. He says, I'll give you rest in my presence and I'll revive you and strengthen you. We'll talk more about that next week. And when you're fearful and you're worried and you're losing your mind because so much is going on and you're struggling to trust, listen, hear this, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Just, just, just come. Just drink of my spiritual water. Just, just come and get refreshed. You're not doing so well on your own, are you? You're all uptight and stressed and angry and worried and fearful and you're not growing and it's just kind of, and, and he says, listen, it doesn't have to be like that. I'll be generous with you. I'll be gracious to you. I want to bless you. It is an unbreakable truth that when we abide in the Lord, there will be a calmness and a contentment that we can't explain. Versus the constant churning of self. If we need to see evidence of the churning of self, just look at the front page of any news. I looked at it this morning. Chaos, 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 anger, hostility, threats. Just, just junk all over the place. And the Lord says, you're not, as a believer, that's not where you're supposed to live. Because Psalm 36 says, your people drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Oh, that sounds good, right? Abundant, abundant delight that'll help us and it'll provide for us and we'll be refreshed and calm. And we'll get some direction. And we'll have spiritual rest. And it'll make us lie down because we look for those things in the wrong places. And he says, I'm going to bring you into my presence. 
and I'm going to feed you with my goodness, and I'm going to sustain you. How could we want anything else? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down by green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for his goodness.